hello and welcome to episode two, series three of the Harneys Take 10 podcast. I'll be your host. My name is William Peake. You'll have heard me on the original episode one, series three. And now I've been entrusted with the microphone today as we are going to delve into the workings of the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. And in order to do that, I've invited three very special guests, inverted commas, guests, colleagues. So we have Deirdre McNamara and Francesca Gibbons, who are both counsel in our London office. Hi there. Hi, hello. And Joshua Shewardson Hip who is an associate in that team. Always the one with the long name, Bill Will. There was some significant practising involved there. I have written out phonetically so I don't screw it up. So it's two Irish versus two English, which I hope will be a precursor <laughs> to some Six Nations success in a couple of weeks. Moving very swiftly on from the topic of rugby. Josh, why don't we kick off with you first? Do you want to just give us a sketch of the Privy Council, what it does, what it is, how it's evolved and where it's got to now? Yeah, yeah, thank you, Will. The court itself has an absolutely fascinating history and its roots can be traced all the way back to the Norman times where, if you like, people could take their petition to the monarch about a particular issue and ask for a um, a decision to be made about a particular matter. So it conjures up this lovely old image of somebody trotting off on a horse with their petition and the monarch granting it or refusing it, I mean, like you see in films. However, obviously, the, the monarch is a very busy person and so in time it was decided that he or she would act on the advice of his or her privy councillors uh, and even today they're collectively known as a formal body of advisors to the monarch so the idea being that they create advice or give advice to the monarch who then decides on whether to follow the decision. Now as time went on the court's influence grew and in the 1920s it was thought to be the final court for one quarter of the world's population. So quite a staggering statistic there, thinking about the number of people that were subject to its jurisdiction. Uh, in terms of where we are today, obviously its influence has climbed somewhat, but it still remains the final appellate court for many of the overseas territories. And it remains in London, just off Parliament Square in a beautiful building, um, which is a wonderful place to visit if you are in the area. And you can actually, I mean, if you can't get down to get down to Parliament Square to, to see this all of the proceedings are live you, you can watch them yeah that, that's right um in, in fact you know most english and wales courts whilst you can sit in them you can't watch them albeit on television or online but this court is very different you can go online and you can see all of the historic decisions and you can watch the proceedings live which is which is wonderful um yeah no i, I i've watched quite a few of our cases there usually because some vain individual who we work with has alerted us uh, to the fact that they'll be on TV but it does it does work extremely well and just going back Josh to the point of the monarch actually approving this order I mean how, how does that play out now do they still pay lip service to that or, or how is that demonstrated now well the thing I would start with by saying is often proceedings are you know any legal proceedings you have the title of the court at the top of the document and one thing that I really like about um, matters before the Privy Council is it actually says at the title of the document in the court 
court at Buckingham Palace. So whilst what exactly goes on remains a, a bit of a mystery, the particular piece of advice, because that's how Privy Council judgments are made by way of advice to the monarch, are taken to Buckingham Palace. We understand a meeting takes place once every six weeks where a particular piece of advice will be presented and the king or queen will always approve it. But nonetheless, it still takes place, you know, as if it were back in, in the Norman times, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So, and it's hard to believe that, you say, in the 1920s, a quarter of the world's population was subject to the jurisdiction of, of this court. Imagine how many people would have listened to this podcast in the 1920s. I think it would have definitely put us to the top of the iTunes charts. Josh, thank you very much for that. Francesca, turning to you, uh, you're obviously an experienced BVI litigator. You've lived and worked in the BVI and you're now based in our in our London office and a healthy chunk of your practice is actually Privy Council based. Do you want to just talk us through some of those cases, the role that we actually play in them? Yeah, sure. So we've been involved in many big commercial heavyweight disputes where the Privy Council is the last appellate court and the type of stuff that you'd expect offshore. So shareholders disputes, broad trust disputes, and sometimes with a background of insolvency proceedings as well. Some recent cases that come to mind are actually Deirdre's been on the case of Convoy, which is a really interesting one on the BVI's jurisdiction to grant freestanding freezing injunctions. So very interesting and topical area for BVI. Others that we've been involved in very recently are Eurochem and Ming, both of which we won, and some others I've been involved in as well are Bayer's and Chen, um, and also Starre, so um, hopefully all household names for offshore practitioners. So we're involved in some really interesting cases, and we can appear either as offshore lawyers, we can actually take the role, if the client specifically asks, of a Privy Council agent, which is a bit of an old-fashioned term, but what it means is, is having a specific role where you're responsible for dealing with the registry and dealing with filings on a case. And so we, we can do that as well um, from London. So um, does, the, does, does the Privy Council agent role, does that explain when I have sneaked out for a run during the afternoon in the London office and I come back and there is a hive of activity over the photocopiers, that's usually to deal with the Privy Council filings. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So having an office in London means that we're very close to, to the court, sits in um, Parliament Square, so we can take charge of, of the filing and, and sort that out. Um, and it's a good thing we're very close, actually, because there have been all sorts of dramatic events in the past few years, including um, blockades and rallies, and obviously we, we can account for all of that. I recall there's one event actually where I came out of court and thought, am I seeing things? There are literally 300 black cats. <laughs> and, uh, it just so happened that all of the taxis were on um, strike and decided to do it outside of the court. So those kind of things, of course, can get <laughs> those kind of things you, you have well, to just, prepare. For. I suppose just, just as well you'd booked an Uber in advance. <laughs> and we'll, we'll come back to this with Deirdre because I know Deirdre's going to touch on you know the impact of, of COVID and the electronic yeah. filing bundles and how we may actually actually be the death of the photocopier and a much more pro-green yeah. approach, which I think we'd certainly love to see and, and we'd, we'd really encourage that. I mean, just in terms of how the court operates, and I appreciate we sit on a court users group. Well, what does that actually mean in practice? Yeah, so Josh actually sits on it, so I might ask him to um, come in at this point. But this is a really useful function um, for us because it means that we have a direct line of communication with the court and it's a two-way process. 
So um, it's an additional thing that we can offer input into. Yeah, Josh, what does that look like on a kind of day-to-day basis? Yes, so we're fortunate to be a member of the JCPC user group meeting. So that's its official title, um, which is actually chaired by Lord Hodge, who's the deputy president of the Supreme Court. And that meeting is attended by um, all the key Privy Council agents. And it's a chance for everyone to put forward particular matters concerning how things are going, where they would like to see certain improvements. So in the most recent one, um, there's obviously the the usual COVID update, which everybody has at the moment. But then we spoke a little bit more about timetables and filings and, you know, procedural matters, things which can cause you big headaches in practice, but it gives you a chance to say to them, actually, you know, we'd like to change this, we'd like to change that. And of course, it's considered by the registrar um, and the chairman. So you get to put forward your point of view for consideration um, straight away. Yeah. And and I I presume that the golden thread of everything that everybody in the financial services is doing at the moment is the impact of COVID and how that has made business more challenging, but has also presented innumerable opportunities to streamline business. And I do think that as offshore lawyers and and people who've on occasions lived in a remote world to facilitate uh, clients and to essentially actually respond to the kaleidoscopic global nature of of clients and service providers involved in complex cross-border litigation, we've been ahead of that curve. And Deirdre and I have spoken at length uh, in the past asked about how we might be better placed in that regard. What are you seeing, Deirdre, in terms of the evolution of the Privy Council in that respect of how it's doing its business in a COVID world? Yeah, um, what I've seen is the Privy Council has just adapted so quickly to to what's happened Mm. in the past year. Um, You know, very quickly we had a temporary practice note issued um, dealing with how you contact the registry and how you file documents, remote hearings, judgments and orders. So for example, all hearings now are held virtually and all filings are electronic. So there's no hard copy filings unless you're specifically requested. And, you know, that's been a a revelation really when you consider some of the cases we're involved in with bundles in excess of 14, 15,000 pages. Um, And what we've seen in the last few hearings that we've had in, in the past few months is that all of the panel are using electronic bundles exclusively so there are no, right, no okay. more hard, hard copy bundles and it works really well council will call out a page number and um, the board will be able to just type in that hey. page number and it, it comes up instantaneously right in front of them hey presto yeah and did the practice note give any guidance on how to put a cat filter on council's face because I think that's really important actually to, to get that right just in terms of trying to move on as quickly as possible from that terrible joke no I think oh, that just... um, Josh should raise that at the next user committee exactly exactly <laughs> josh you have been tasked we'll leave that in your capable hands yeah I'm, I'm happy to put it on and you know use it as a bad example um, i'm sure that will go down very well perfect uh, we look forward to your update on the next podcast about that just in terms of kind of any tricks and tips deirdre for the remote hearing with the privy council because my understanding is it's only leading council who's addressing the court so it's not instructing solicitors junior council they they don't so presumably there's a lot of scurrying in the background to try and recreate the virtual world of a courtroom. How do you get the post-it up to leading counsel so that he or she can actually make the point that has occurred to you or occurred to the client? What kind of tips and tricks do you have there? Yeah, it's very much um, you know a team kind of consideration how you want to deal with it at the hearing. And I mean, it really depends on the matter and 
council's preferences as to how they want us to communicate with them on the day. In a recent case, um, a council requested that we set up, you know, an encrypted messaging system for us to pass on instructions during the breaks so that, um, you know, that he could he could read those and be able to pick up on those. We find as well that the panel itself is very accommodating in terms of providing more frequent breaks, given that there's, you know, no client in the room or no instructing solicitor in, in the same room as, as council. So that's obviously a, a great benefit as well. It really depends on, you know, the circumstances, but I, I, it's worked really well, I think. But you're right, Great. yeah, the leading council only is permitted to attend the virtual video conferencing facility. I suppose it just um, keeps the group small and maybe minimises any technical issues that may, may arise. But the, yeah. the registry is very, very organised in terms of IT as well. So there'll be a run through a few days before with council yeah. of their IT systems to make sure everything is working is working fine. Yeah, because I, I mean, I do think this isn't a privy council observation, but I do think the world of remote hearings, there's I, I think there's some real challenges in terms of, you know, in the run up to a physical hearing, the industry that is involved and the pressure of actually being in the room with the opposition sometimes causes decisions to be made and a whole new dynamic that I think is is lost in, in a remote world because you don't have those pressures. You don't have a situation whereby your client has to walk past the opposition and all of that tension is lost. And I do think in years to come, there will be some kind of interesting statistics on cases settling, whether there have been interim hearings taken from a pure strategic perspective to cause a logistical nightmare for other sides. But I think that's probably for another podcast. Conscious of the title of this podcast is Take 10. I think we should wrap it up there. But thank you very much, Josh, Deirdre and Francesca. That was really, really interesting. And certainly I think I'm well versed for my Zoom quiz this week end and really hope that Privy Council comes up as a topic amongst top goal scorers of the 80s because I think I've got some answers for the questions. So thanks very much everyone. The next episode of Tick 10 will be released next month. I'd encourage you all to subscribe if you enjoyed listening to this and please do feel free to reach out to us if there's anything we can help with. So thank you very much. Really appreciate it.